Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm James, that's Katie, and of course, that makes this episode 18 of Circles and Squares. Um, happy American Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. Um, how you doing, Kate? I'm not, I mean, obviously we're not doing the Thanksgiving thing over here, but we are still enjoying your wonderful Black Friday. Right. We are, <laughs> so we're recording on Black Friday. Um, so thank you for all your Amazon deals we will gladly take advantage of. Um, well, you guys have your turkey, so uh, man, it's almost Christmas too. Get that Christmas shopping done for discounted deals. All that stuff. Yeah, with your Black Friday, it's almost like it's been planned that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like it's been planned that way. Um, Kate, we got a lot planned for this show. Of course, um, we're going to be starting off by talking about the games we've been playing, um, getting into the news section after that, and then for our third section, um, for those that aren't aware, the Game of the Year Awards 2020 are coming up, um, hosted by the one and only Jeff Keeley up on what is it day that it's on uh, December. 4th, right? They December just, no, December 10th. December 10th, yeah. Thursday, December 10th okay, is when there we go. the awards are live. December 4th and is my last day of class for the semester. That makes sense. That <laughs> it's another big day. It's another yeah. big day. Oh, that's so early. I'm not done till the 11th. Yes, yeah, so, gone. Soon enough. Um so <laughs> just because that is coming up, we're going to be going through um for our third section of the show and talking about our predictions of who's going to win each award and um our personal picks as well. So look forward to that later on. Um, but for now, Kate, why don't we talk about what we've been playing? And I think uh, you said you had an update for Demon Souls. Oh, so yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm going through it. It's somewhat of a decent pace, maybe not quite as quickly as I I would have liked, um, or that some people have like already you know platinum the game and whatnot. But I was going through, and I thought it'd be fun to give a little update um, here and there. So we're gonna start with obviously we're doing our boss count. Um, so the boss update, I've now beat seven bosses. Um, which is going to kind of be like wow. my progress tracker because you can do them in like basically a very like very flexible any order. So I have done seven, and of those seven, we've beaten four on the first try. So that's pretty damn good. A little clap for that. Good, not bad. So yeah, the other exciting thing about Demon Souls is um I found I was very excited to get my weapon for the game. So the weapons basically stay consistent through all of the souls games like just just dark souls and demon souls they're basically the exact same weapons every game and you just keep finding the same ones with sometimes like new additions or they've been like slightly modified and updated so i played through the dark souls games with the same ex basically the exact same setup and i was super excited to see if i could like relive it and bring it into demon souls as well and i found it and the funniest part about finding the weapon was like you pick it up and um, you have like a storage amount, like inventory space in this game. So once you've exceeded how much weight you can have in your inventory, it has to go to storage. So I was like in the middle of the level and I picked up my weapon off like just some random corpse. And I was so excited, but I didn't have room. So it got like booped to my storage. Oh my God. That's I, so, that's... Oh. <laughs> so I had to go back and get it. It was like, drop everything, go. <laughs> and then I found out that like I was like eight levels low in strength to actually hold it you didn't know the requirements and, after using it for every souls game well i don't remember it taking so much of like a because like it's a dex weapon in this game you have like either your strength or your dex or your two like damage sources and you typically pick one or the other and it's a dex weapon so i didn't expect it to have a lot of strength and like i either forgot or just it didn't need as much strength in the other games so i was like fuck i have to like so i grinded like <laughs> eight levels so that I could even just hold it because I had no strength. And then I looked and like, of course, in these games, you read all the item descriptions because that's where you get a lot of the lore. And the description for the it's the Uchi Katana. It says like an un like an, a surprisingly heavy weapon. <laughs> like, yeah, it is surprising. I guess heavy. you need that strength. 
like fuck i guess i do need that strength and i was like the game is taunting me um so yeah, i'm super excited about that uh i'm absolutely loving the game it's really interesting to play through after having like being so familiar with the other games because basically everything i run into like all the environments like all of the bosses so far pretty much are like oh my god like it's really giving me like vibes from like this boss from dark souls or like this area from bloodborne like it's so similar and like in my mind it's like oh look it's that from dark souls but in reality it's like it's actually the inverse like everything in dark souls would be like actually inspired or like taken from demon souls yeah right right well i mean you could so, argue like, that maybe for the remake they took some inspiration from the the newer games and then took it like made it full circle um i mean you could but like some of it's just like okay this like the first boss you fight in demon souls is like that's a mini boss in dark souls and it's literally the same guy <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like but for me it's like oh my god i remember him from dark souls so it's like it's kind of funny like just how much they took and like reiterated and like adapted to each game it's really interesting to see like obviously we know like demon souls is kind of like you know like the first like canonical game in the Souls series but it's just amazing to me how much they actually like yeah. took from this game moving forward into all the other games like my favorite area right now is the third arch zone it's like this like abandoned prison kind of area and it's got like some monsters and some stuff and like the atmosphere really reminds me of bloodborne which I was not expecting to see in this game because I was expecting like more of the fantasy, like the dark kind of like Dark Souls fantasy. Right. But like there's basically a Bloodborne area and it is like, it's by far my favorite part of the game. It's just like oozing and dripping in the same kind of like dark, disturbing and like psychological kind of like atmosphere that Demon or that, um, that Bloodborne has. It is really cool. Seems, like there's a lot. I was going to say, it seems to me almost like they they didn't, realize how successful the demon souls was going to be and then taking these ideas further into the newer games is almost like hey we did a really cool thing here in demon souls so why don't we take that idea and do it even better and expand on it for a whole game in bloodborne yeah i think so like it really seems to me like basically all of the newer mechanics they put into the games like sekiro maybe not so much like sekiro is kind of its own thing um That's but at least there. for like yeah but at least for like dark souls and bloodborne it really seems like they took these ideas from Demon's Souls and like, what if we just kind of expanded on this concept? Or like, what if we change the con like change it slightly and like kind of fitted it more appropriately for this game? So like in like you have like your humanity in Dark Souls, and it's kind of similar to like how insight works in Bloodborne. And then in Demon's Souls, you have like the world tendency, and they all have like that mechanic is just slightly like shifted to fit more appropriately into each game. So it's really interesting, like how they've managed to like take kind of like the core concepts and I think why the games all feel so familiar and so similar even though the games are quite different as well is because they're taking these like core concepts and just modifying them for each game mm -hmm. like tweaking them for what so, they want that game to be specifically in, like in comparison to what they've already made yeah exactly so that kind of brings me to the other point I wanted to talk about just because I've now experienced it is the world tendency so this is something unique to Demon's Souls, and I, I think, like, it's a lot more, it changes the game a lot more than something like Humanity or Insight does in the other games. It's it's different, and I, I think, like, I like it in theory, but I don't know if it's, like, perfect in execution. Oh, so tell. I love, I will say there's two different types. I love the the, like, tendency for your character. So basically, like, it's kind of like a, an, 
a type of like morality meter. So if you do like bad things, like you kill your NPCs and like you invade others and whatnot and you be, do like, you know, like morally ambiguous things, you get like a black tendency and that will make stuff harder for you in the game. And if you do good things, you get a white tendency and that will help you out in some ways. So I like that. It's sort of like got a morality system baked into it. And like, these are things that even in the newer games, like you can kill your NPCs and that's just whatever the consequences you miss out on, like their storyline and their dialogue, or maybe they'd become a vendor lately or something. But like, you know, people do, people kill NPCs all the time. That's just something you do. And like the game never stops you. It's not like, oh, but that's an important NPC. You can't kill them. It's just, well, you know, do whatever you want. But now maybe there's kind of like a bigger consequence in this game if you're just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Is it like significantly harder though? Um, so I, my character tendency is neutral. I haven't really like done anything. Um, but it does make it significantly harder and like you lose max health and stuff like that. Um, but what I have experienced is now the world tendencies. So those also kind of have the same black and white meter and they get white when you kill bosses and also if you defeat invaders. And then they get dark if you basically if you die. <laughs> but it, but it's not just any death. You have to be like in your human form. So when you die in human form, you go to soul form. So once you're in soul form, you're fine to die as much as you want. But it's that one death once you're in human form. And if you die in there, it goes black. So I think I must have accidentally done it twice in one world. And it's now a black world. Mm. And oh my god, it makes it like quite a significant jump in difficulty in the level. I find that interesting because I've not heard of this at all before. And people always are... I mean, the debate goes on about like difficulty in these games too. So it's interesting Mm -hmm. that this has kind of a pseudo built-in difficulty slider in a way, depending how you were to play, or at least that's what I'm getting from you. It's yeah. It's really interesting. Like if you make the, um, the world white, the enemies actually get easier. They do less damage to you. So like in a way you can make it easier. The problem is, is it's hard to get a white world, but it's quite easy to get a black world because you just have to die. (laughs) And like in the world I'm in, like I haven't beaten any bosses in that one arch zone because the run to the boss is very difficult because now I've got these black enemies. So what it does is it puts in beside the regular enemies. Every now and again, you'll get this like red phantom one. And the red phantom one is just way tougher. Like I've leveled, so it's not quite as extreme now. But when I first was in that area, the regular enemy would take four hits for me to kill. And then the red version would take 13. So that's like a pretty big jump. And it would do a lot more damage. So like, whatever, I got past that. And then I got to this part of the area that like, and they're not every single enemy. It seems to just be like a couple specific ones here and there. So they're not prevalent so much to the point where like, that's all you're fighting, but they're in there enough that like, it is significant. Um, so I kind of got a little bit further in the area after getting past the first one. And then there's another red phantom and it's kind of beside this like pseudo mini boss, definitely an enemy that's meant to be a little bit more challenging and you'll likely die to a couple times before you figure him out. So he's there and then the red one is right beside him. So either you're fighting them at the same time or like you have to be like tactful and like pull one at a time. But the red one, it one shots me. It literally does more damage per hit than like any of the bosses I fought. Jesus. So it's pretty insane. So like I can kill it relatively easily because like I've gotten a bit stronger now. But it it strikes me as like an interesting thing. Like I kind of, I kind of really like the world tendency in theory in the sense that like you're kind of affecting the world around you more than more than other games and like you have to kind of be tactful on what what you're doing and like which 
area you're going to at any given time so that one doesn't like spiral out of control. And right. I, I, I like it in theory, but then in practice, I feel like it's just going to be really tough for a lot of people because the game's already difficult. And the reason that you got a black tendency was because you were dying already. So right, like, it's kind of weird how it works that way. Yeah, it's like kind of like punishing you for failure and then rewarding you for success. I don't know. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. And I, I think it's like sort of dated in the way like it definitely didn't come through in any other game. Um, but yeah, anyway, despite that, I'm absolutely loving the game still. And, and hopefully by next episode, we'll have a few more bosses down and perfected, obviously. But speaking of bizarre, uh, the other game I wanted to talk about today is Pyre. So Supergiant is obviously a massive studio right now. They're, They're really taking over the world the with Hades right now. Yeah, okay. taking over the, the world and the underworld. Maybe the game <laughs> awards, too. Maybe we'll see the what game we think later on in the, in the third section. Um, so anyway, I, I kind of I got back into Pyre because of Hades. Basically, like, this game looks amazing. I really want to play it. But I didn't finish their previous entry, so I've kind of hopped back into it. Have you, You've and played all Pi their games, right? Um, or I have. I, I will admit, sadly, I didn't beat Transistor, which is oh, like arguably like one me. of the better ones i know i beat bastion um i played about probably half of transistor and i'm i'm assuming i'm about halfway through pyre now okay yeah uh, i played i've beaten ba uh, bastion and transistor love transistor to mm -hmm. death um pyre i played also about halfway and i kind of fell off so i'm interested to see what you think and then hades too like is definitely something i want to check out soon hades looks amazing yeah hades looks like they've taken a lot of stuff from from every game they've done and just sort of amalgamated into like this beautiful artistic game but we'll get more into that for the game awards um right now we're gonna talk about pyre it is bizarre this game is whack <laughs> like it is just so <laughs> weird um i i like it but i think it's definitely like a niche game i wouldn't recommend it to everyone even though i'm enjoying it i think you get a lot out of this game if you get invested in the characters and the story and if you don't there isn't really much else that will draw you to play it because like the actual gameplay of the sports game is just every time i play it i just think this is so weird <laughs> like it's been like 20 hours in or whatever and i'm still like i have i'm still playing the sports game it's bizarre it's fine like i, I don't it doesn't like draw me but it also doesn't put me off i'm very neutral towards it i guess like i'm yeah. playing on the regular difficulty, so like it's not incredibly difficult but it's also like just not brain like i could see like there being some like strategy to it and maybe if you're just into sports games in general like there probably is a lot of like ways you can build your characters that make it kind of like intense and like i think there's even an online so you can like play against other people which yeah yeah it's interesting fun. Because I found like the game is very much just it's like story driven, right? So you're trying to get uh -huh. each of your characters to progress their story, you know, build their relationship, figure out who they are. And then once they complete their arc, they kind of get what do they get transported to a different world or they're, they're saved yeah, or something? So what you're trying to do is you're all kind of like, well, you're in the underworld and you're basically like playing through this sports tournament. It's like a sports to... league almost. It's basically a sports league, but it's very like mystical. Like it, it's kind of like run by the gods, basically. And there's a lot of like faith elements tied to it. And basically, like if you win this tournament, one of your members can ascend and go back up to the to the regular world. So you're trying to get your team and your crew like out of the underworld and back up to like relive their lives. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously like a lot of other story going on about like you know what they're gonna do when you get up there and like the factions that rule and and, yeah. and there's a lot going on in terms of like world design but that, that's kind of like 
the intimate story is very much your characters. And as you play more games with them and you have options to like talk to them between matches and stuff, you can learn more about them. And you learn like why they were down to the underworld in the first place, like what kind of person they are. Like, yeah, it's a lot like Spiritfarer, actually, what that I played earlier in the year. Um, yeah, like you're is, trying to complete people's people's requests and, and get them to like an ultimate goal where you actually after you you have like the best relationship you can is when you lose them. And I think that's a really cool mechanic. The problem is, is with Pyre, at least like my my point is just I think the same as yours that I don't find the actual gameplay of the sport. I don't even what's the the sport even called, but I don't find that gameplay particularly fun. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, if it was just that, I would definitely not play it. And I think that's why it takes a level of investment for your characters, because once you start to care about them and, like, become invested, you want to see them succeed. And it's, yeah, it's got that really interesting mechanic where, like, when you're finally ready to like have someone ascend, it's like you want to give it to your favorite character because you you want them You want their to, story arc to, to be completed, successful. right? But then at the same time, it's like, I don't want to lose my favorite character. Like, they're just gone now. I can't interact with them anymore. So, like, it, the game almost, like, makes you feel selfish as a person. And so... Well, yeah. It, Especially, too, like, since you... If you give away a character you like to play also, like, not even just their story-wise, but also a character that's really helpful for you when it comes to actually playing, then you, if yeah. you lose that character, that's a detriment, too. Yeah, exactly. Like that character is probably like one of your strongest team members that you've also like invested like resources into. So it's kind of like playing on a few different levels of like you as a person are kind of like you're kind of like involved almost like as a player in the game, even like though you're just making decisions from outside. So like I've definitely like sat there on the like okay to select like who is it going to be? And I've sat there and kind of like stressed over it. But then I also like are making decisions based on like what's good for the team. Like with one character was kind of like not getting along with other characters and it's like well maybe i let them ascend because it's better for like the group in general there won't be as much conflict but then <laughs> yeah. it's like but i'm rewarding that person for kind of being an asshole so it's like oh what do i do and i i think that's really neat and the other thing the game rewards you really well for like trying to read the situation so when you fight another team like you kind of get to know some of the characters that are like i guess quote technically like enemies in a sense they're the other sports teams you're facing but you get to know some of the characters on different teams and you can kind of like guess like if you put in because you don't always fight with your main squad out of your squad you always choose three to go into each game and then when you get to the next game you choose a different three and like ideally you're kind of like rotating your team a little bit um but in certain ones you kind of like pick based on who you're fighting because it's like oh this these characters kind of have a rivalry or like these characters like know each other from before and like you actually get different like dialogue like they'll pause mid-game and talk to each other based on what you've picked so it's really rewarding to kind of like try to figure out like not only who your characters are but how they react to other characters in the world either in your party or outside of your party and like the last time I played I put someone in because I thought like I'd seen like evidence of like a little bit of a connection with one of the characters and they actually like talked mid battle and I got an item for it. That's and really it was cool. so rewarding because it was like, oh, I picked that character like knowing that like or like assuming that they would have some kind of interaction and then they did. So there's just like so much like going into like trying to figure out who these characters are. And I think if that draws you, this game is is great and if that doesn't draw you then you're just kind of awkwardly playing a sports game and like reading wikipedia articles about people you don't <laughs> care about so uh, it, it's it's weird i 
I love Supergiant as a studio and I've actually just been watching um, like a documentary of them like making Hades as well. Just looking at that documentary and then also just my own assumption based on their games. Like they just seem like a studio that's fantastic and they just have a creative vision and they go for it regardless of like if it's something that consumers know that they want or like if it's popular right now like obviously Hades yeah like a roguelikes are huge right now but like something like Pyre is so bizarre like nobody was asking for Pyre nobody even knew a game like Pyre could exist and they like clearly just had a passion project and made it and I think that shows that shows through so much in the game like it's got so much like love and care and like attention to detail put into it yeah, so. and it's also like it was a big left turn for them too because Bastion and Transistor were relatively similar. Like they were different in the way they controlled and like what kind of game they were, but they were both more action focused. You know, not not as many interactions between different party members. You only had like one character and maybe a few side characters to have dialogue with. But this is very much like a yeah, it's just a different form of game for them. And I think it's kind of like Hades in that way with like more character interaction. But maybe it's the stepping stone they needed to get to something like Hades. Um, yeah. So I would say like if you're really into story and like character and like that type of like a game that like wants you to read a lot of lore and stuff, Pyre's mm-hmm. fantastic. And like you'll get through the sports game. It's not it's just very neutral. It's just kind of like a little bit of time in the game, I guess, to like break up reading and like so you're doing something. Cool, cool. OK, well, I guess we'll move into the stuff that I've been playing for uh, the last couple of weeks. So I just wanted to give a quick update first. Um, I've been playing. Well, of course, I've been playing Persona 5 The Royal. I've been playing lots of Apex with the new season still, but I'm not going to get into those. Um, I do want to give a quick update on Miles Morales because I actually beat it like I think like two days after we last recorded our other episode. So I've been sitting on this one for a while and I just want to reiterate like how much I enjoyed this experience. And I, I want to relate it to um, a few episodes when I go when I played um, Uncharted Lost Legacy like I really liked the way they kind of condensed the storyline and it was quicker pace and I found like this really reflected the same thing in Miles Morales and just how it takes all the good parts from the original Spider-Man but kind of trims the fat and, and keeps all the good stuff and, and it, it's just a really tight package like I, I love how they went with almost a, a different cast than the original Spider-Man aside from a couple you know, recurring characters, J. Jonah Jameson and stuff, like I mentioned last time. But the cast is is very much centered around Miles, like his his friends and family. And I I like that they changed it up from the original because I think it it just offers it a way different perspective. And the characters that they chose to include really do a good job of conveying like Miles's youth and inexperience compared to like you know Spider Man's more established by the time where his story is within his game whereas miles is really just starting so there's a lot of funny phone conversations like he has with his friend genki that i that i mentioned last time about um you'll have some conversations that are about like spider-man and and what he's doing as as miles morales in the suit but then also you have a lot of conversations about like hey how's your reading going for homework and and like you know genki's busy programming a video game on his computer in the in the bedroom and and they're kind of talking about like video games and, and just very much like normal teenager stuff as well Right. So they've done a good job to make them very like believable and like real characters within the game as well. And not just like, I mean, yeah, this is the yeah. best part about Spider-Man, right? Is he's like the relatable, like average guy kind of superhero. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not like he, like Spider-Man obviously relatable too, but Miles, I think is even more relatable on like an inexperienced level, at least like where they're portraying him in, in his journey. So, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword though, because as much as I really appreciate the cast and, and like what they showed here and the, the like, tightness of the experience i liked it so much i do wish that it was more fledged out so i'm really hoping just in the sequel maybe they combine like i'm assuming you're gonna play as both miles and peter so maybe you'll get you know a little bit of both of their worlds they overlap right so then you think going forward it's gonna kind of like 
be the the next step for both of these characters in the in whatever sequel game comes out. Yeah, I mean, this game post credits it does it does relate in the in the post credit scene. So, I mean, they're obviously connected. Um, it's not a spoiler to say that that Spider Man, like Peter Parker, does somehow make some some appearances in this game. I'm not going to say how. But I mean, he's he's referenced and like they're intertwined. Like this right. is for sure. We fig- we figured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the the game too. Like one last point on it. I just I really appreciate how they've changed and up the side quest structure of this game compared to the original. Um, I found a lot of like the street crimes and the, you know, just the stuff they do to make the world feel more alive was was kind of repetitive and way more inconsequential in the original. Whereas in this one. They they do a good job of making the side quests feel a lot more tailor made. Like there's fewer of them, but they have more thought. I feel put into them, and it's not just the same like taking down enemies and chasing cars around the city um, because you know bad guys robbed a bank or something. In this one, they they kind of change it. Like um, you you are following a car, but you have to take pictures of its license plate first to see, and then Genki will track like which one has the stolen goods and. You know, and then you're you're chasing this car down and it's a bunch of thieves and they've stolen Christmas presents because the game takes place in December. And it, it's just, yeah, it's <laughs> so just a little bit more heartfelt. They took and... your Amazon order from your front door before you got home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the whole problem. They took your PS5. That's why you don't have one yet. Oh, <laughs> how dare they? I know. But, yeah, but it's just like they're not as cookie cutter this time. And I really appreciate that. And also with the crimes, like they... They used to be a little bit distracting coming up in the in the first one and where in this one it's more so like yeah they're going on but it's more so if you, it's up to you if you want to go pursue them and if not the game really doesn't like ram them down your throat in the same way and you I just like that setup a lot more because by the time you get like partway through the story you almost just want to leave that stuff to the side or at least I did. Do you think so, that do you think it helps too like I guess with the length of the game and like there's just less interruption and like you don't have to come across them so many times. Like I always finding in those kind of games and like, I'm, it makes me think of, of playing red dead and you get all the, the random events. Like you're, you know, you ride by someone and they're like, Oh, help mister. And they're like, you know, they're like horses died on the side of the road and you got to rescue them. And like, it's always really exciting for the first, like 10, maybe 20 hours of the game. You stop and do every one. And then after that, you're like, I can't be bothered. It's the same shit. I know what you're doing. Like I've got a mission to do a shorter game. Maybe helps those kind of things out a little bit. I mean, that's a good point, actually, because I feel like maybe a part of the reason the crimes don't get as repetitive in this one is because I spent less time in this game in general. Like, I think I beat the whole mm-hmm. thing. Um, I didn't get all the collectibles and, and whatever, but I, I mean, I went through, I did a, like all the side, the, the major side quests. I did, you know, quite a few collectibles, beat the story. And I think it was like maybe 10 hours total. So, right. I mean, it's way shorter. So maybe just my exposure to the crimes was shorter because the other one was, I mean, the first game was way longer, right? So maybe I just had more mm-hmm. exposed. I don't know, but but just the whole package in this, I I feel is like very strong, and it's it's definitely a contender for like my personal game of the year. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's Spider Man. Go play it. Um, you should definitely check out the combo pack at some time too, like the with the Spider Man remaster. I would say. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great deal, especially because I think they they upped um some stuff for the for the 2018 game as well, right? It isn't just yeah they, it's a total remaster there as well with yeah. the package i believe and it also like even if it even if you just were to play the ps4 version just the the loading and and because i mean it's a big city right and there's the the fast travel and it's like instantaneous in miles morales like i like i mentioned last time so i mean just having that ease of movement around with the original would be great yeah well it's it's definitely on the list one day right the, the... What we always say, like, one day. <laughs> I know, it's a one-day game, too. It's like that, um, you know, that the new World Ends With You game was just announced, and that the original World Ends With You is, like, an old DS game, and it's been on, like, the, oh, I should play that. It yeah. looks interesting game for, like, the last decade. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, that game's really neat. Actually, a friend of mine was showing me recently about it. Um, like just kind of like one of those like, oh, look at this. Like, just check it out for a quick ten minutes, and then like a couple weeks later, it's like, oh, there's a trailer for a new one after so many years. I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Cool. The list never ends, man. But um, speaking of the list, I actually went back and I've I've played my first PS4 game now on uh, the PS5 as well. I get well, actually, never mind. I guess Apex is PS4, but my first kind of single player experience. I've actually been went went back and I've been checking out um, Soul Calibur VI, um, which yes, that's really weird for me because I don't usually play a lot of fighting games. But this is like my one um, exception to the rule, I guess you could say, unless you want to mention Smash, obviously. But um, yeah, Soul Calibur VI. So. I've been playing that. It's it's a lot of nostalgic for me, you know, just with the cast like Mitsurugi and Nightmare and Sungmina and like all these characters we know, like we've known for so long since playing like Soul Calibur 2 and 3. Um, so it's cool to be back in that world. And there, let me tell you, Kate, there's just like, there's so much content in this game. It's ridiculous. Usually like, you games know, fighting games. Content. Sorry? That's number six. So you got six games worth of content. <laughs> That's right. It's like six times bigger than the first one. Um <laughs> Um, so like usually in a fighting game, you get the arcade mode and then you get maybe like, you know, a story mode and, you know, mm -hmm. then there's the online stuff and the, the verses and all that, maybe some challenges. But in this right. game, there's, I mean, the arcade mode actually is one of the things I used to love about Soul Calibur because you would get, you'd go through like the arcade for each specific character. They'd have a, like a lineup of fighters they had to face based on, you know, their story or like some, some reason they had to fight this person. And then at the end you'd unlock some art and, and whatever. So in this game, the arcade is actually like the worst mode. It's, it's basically just like, yeah, battles, battles, battles. And then you don't really get a whole lot, some character art stuff and, and whatever. But in, in this game, there's like two amazing single player modes, which is, is so much content I feel for a fighting game. Um, mm -hmm. the first of which, uh, is a story mode, which goes through like the whole chronicle of, of the soul caliber story with like soul, soul edge and how the, the whole sword gets formed and all the characters are, are, you know, fighting to, to own this powerful sword. Um, so the timelines at the top and you kind of go through and you play the major events in this timeline. But what's really cool about the mode is you're not only just playing through the major events of the overall story of soul caliber, but in between you're also, you can also play like a little side story for every single character and it's like anywhere from five to, you know, six or seven different missions and battles that you go through as this character and you play like their own little story within the timeline. So that's that's really cool to add extra flavor and context and the, the characters interact. And it's just like a series of challenge battles, basically, with each specific character. Okay, that's kind of cool. I'm picturing that sort of like, yeah, instead of it being their own story mode, it's just like a couple missions that you can sort of pick and pick and choose to do. Yeah, that goes in and out of the, the major story overall. So I think the game, like, it starts in, like, the 1500s or something. So I the first one I did was um, one of the main characters, Mitsuruki. He's a samurai. So he had kind of, uh, you know, one of the first characters to encounter the sword early on in its time after creation. So kind of going through and seeing, like, he's a formidable fighter and he's trying to challenge all the other opponents. Like, the story's not great. It's, it's literally just excuses for people to get into fights, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. So I mean, not that the story's great. But like that's the fighting game thing right it's either like there's absolutely no exposition it's like okay we're two dudes we just happen to be in a park let's fight or yeah, it's basically. like the most intense animation ever <laughs> and like there's no in between at all yeah and like none of these people have any kind of conflict resolution skills they just like immediately resort to i'm gonna try and fight you so that's all this is too and it's so ham-fisted and like cheesy right. voice it's like, acting it's like a flow chart it's like do you have a problem with this guy yes fight him <laughs> do you have a problem with him no fight him anyway <laughs> yeah exactly and i think that's one of the things i appreciate so much about like about soul caliber in, in um in general is like it's trying to tell somewhat of a serious story but the context is obviously so cheesy and it meshes so well with like 
I find the combat kind of funny too, in a weird way. Like, I don't know how many people of, of like played Soul Calibur are familiar, but it's it's like a 3D fighter. Like, it's not just left and right. You can also move up and down and kind of go in circles, and it's like a 3D space you're fighting in. Um, so you can you can knock people off the edge of the ring, and just some of the collision and and like the way you can hit the characters while they're already defeated, so they'll keep. You know, when you hit them, they'll be like, oh, when they get defeated. But if you keep hitting them, they'll go like, oh, ah, oh, like, and it's just there's some really funny moments you can create. Um, right. Like the game doesn't take itself too, too seriously. No, it's definitely no. like a bit of a, a bit of a joke. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Um, And so the other mode, getting back to the story modes, there's there's like the story mode, like I said, but there's also another one called Libra of Soul, um, which is super intense sounding. Um, And what that is, is it's where you make your own created character. Um, and then you go through like a separate side mission that takes place in the same world as the story being told for the other characters, but it's it's not as related. It's kind of just you're a random guy, whoever you create. Um, and the the character creator, first of all, is like quite extensive in this game. Like you can really go ahead and make some some pretty um, accurate characters if you want to take the time and and like make you know Captain Falcon or who or whoever you're you're interested in. Um, and so that's that's true like i for for what i've seen on this game like 90 percent of it, like by far what's got like the most attention in this game is terms of in terms of media is like the character creator is so good people are making all sorts of characters like yeah it's like you know you got like um jin sakai from ghost of tsushima they've made him and it's like on reddit and then like you know someone else has got like their their iron man and the next person's shrek because it's always fucking shrek, <laughs> it's always shrek. <laughs> he, he has to show up in every game <laughs> yeah it's always shrek. it's really good though so yeah i wish i was more creative like i i just didn't put the time into making my character right i just i could kind of toss one together made him look whatever um, but it's, it's neat because you can actually, um, I don't think you can change your character's appearance during the mode, but you can equip them with all the different weapons. So if, if like I started, I, I gave my character Nightmare's sword to start because he was my, you know, my most familiar character in the series just to get through. But as I've moved along, I, I've realized like, oh, you know what, maybe Nightmare isn't really my character in this in this one so and i want to try someone else so i can just change my weapon on the fly with my custom character um go through you know the different line i think i met up with one of the main characters so far killick and he's kind of taking me through and it's it's kind of serves as a tutorial and it's and its own separate story at the same time so and there's also some like morality choices you make in there where you can choose to do like good or bad actions and then depending on the end of the game you'll either get like the good version of the sword or the bad one so it's it's kind of cool it's just another excuse to give you more battles obviously but i just really appreciate the amount of content yeah it sounds like there's a lot going on and like a lot of people are happy just to buy fighting games for like the multiplayer and the online but it's always really cool when they add in a bunch of single player stuff and even if you are playing it socially that single player stuff's kind of fun to like controller pass back and forth or it's great like if you just want to like you know you don't want to sit at home and you don't want to deal with like you know laggy eight-year-olds online that are better than you <laughs> like <laughs> you can just play your game in one of those modes hey trust me everyone's better than me i play i've got to play some <laughs> matches online just to check it out but i'm sure i'm gonna get like rocked by these people online it's it's a good game though like the last thing i want to mention is um just my experience with the dual sense playing this game because it's my first really extensive use of the d-pad for for any kind of like non-menu based stuff because everything else i've been playing is like you know not as action focused on the d-pad and, it, and I'm, I'm happy to say like it, it it's snappy like it feels really good to play obviously this is pretty d-pad intensive having to put in the inputs for different special moves and stuff so i've really enjoyed that and i've also really enjoyed just how it runs on the ps5 itself in terms of like load times because i know that one of the knocks on this game when it was released was it's um, it's really text heavy, especially in a lot of the both of the single player modes, actually. So just having those load times kind of 
you know, decrease between text sections and like loading into the fights has really made it a snappier experience. So I'm, I'm really glad I'm playing it on the on the new console for sure. And I've got to ask too, just thinking um, back to your controller, do you notice like a lot of like the features are, are good? Like is the the rumble a really big part no, of it too? No, like, no, no. It's, I don't think it's been optimized for like the PS5 in terms of them going back and, and like adding any kind of haptics or anything right. like that. It's more so just like, it's just mimicking what the PS4 did in that way, which right. is too bad. But I mean, you can't, I wouldn't expect that for very many PS4 games aside from maybe like, I expect it from right. the first party studio stuff. Yeah, I'm just thinking games. like some games, like, I guess maybe not this game, but a lot of games in general, just they have Rumble already kind of like built in and like some games even use like the microphone and stuff. So I'm wondering like how it, if it would feel like like a step up still, even if they don't actually go in and like make alterations, but just having like the better controller itself. I wonder how yeah, much of a difference yeah. that would make. But I guess this maybe isn't the best game to test it out. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's it's an older game too, right? It's, it's a few years mm-hmm. came out. I don't remember what year it came out. I think it was maybe like 20... 2018 or, or something but i mean i don't i don't see them going back i hope they do because it's cool and they, and i think they could do some really cool stuff with the rumble in terms of like hey the astroth just hits you with his giant act that's going to make the controller like really feel a hit in comparison right. to like a character with a dagger or something right but um mm-hmm. yeah too bad that would be cool though i'm maybe soul caliber 7 you never know be cool but yeah anyway that's what i've been playing pretty much like i said i'm doing a bunch of different stuff but in honesty kate what i'm doing is i'm killing time until i get cyberpunk in a couple weeks um hopefully <laughs> if, so if you get so, cyber, yeah cross your fingers yeah i'm just my, my goal right now is just like hey i gotta buckle down and beat persona 5 royal before uh cyberpunk comes out because they're both like those long kind of play them in the background kind of games will you play sh- well at least that's how i like to do it like longer game with shorter stuff you know mixed in so i can't do persona and, and cyberpunk at the same time that's yeah, just crazy exactly. i always say you gotta have one game that's like you're intense i'm really into it and i'm like so immersed and i love it and then you gotta have like your relaxing games for when it's like about an hour before bed and like i don't feel like i can really like make a ton of progress in the other game so i'm just gonna relax get sleepy and play like yeah pirate whatever. <laughs> exactly exactly um yeah so i guess that'll do us for what we've been playing this uh this week so um join us after the break where we'll be breaking down some news articles for you guys so don't go anywhere Alright guys, welcome back for the second part of the show where we're going to break down some news for the last couple of weeks. And Kate, let's be honest here, the biggest news story of everything that's happened so far in terms of like PlayStation stuff is just like the the damn unavailability of the console itself. But I mean, that's not, I wouldn't say that's really a news story. That's just like an unfortunate circumstance. And, and what do you really say besides like good luck finding one and, and like fuck the scalpers, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry for you. Like, fingers crossed. <laughs> Check, refresh your pages every two seconds. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, just do your best. Try not to buy a $1,300 PlayStation from, from jerks online. But, uh, I mean, yeah, just good luck to everyone and hope you find one soon enough. Maybe for Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully maybe there'll be another way for Christmas and, you know, eventually. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, get into some news here, Kate. We got three news articles for the day. And the first one's like a, just a really cool, lighthearted story. To do with the London Underground, actually, which is very interesting. We've uh, got like lots, we've got lots of English family, and we've been to London, and it's cool. They actually rebranded um, the the London Underground as part of a marketing thing for the PS5 launch. So for for those that have seen it, the London Underground has like that red circular kind of um, logo, like for the train, right? 
And yeah, so, and it's like the red circle with like the text going through the middle. Yeah. Um, the underground. And then what they've done is because the red circle is already so perfect, they've changed some of the other stations to have like the green triangle or like the pink square. And so they've just totally decorated it up for PlayStation. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, I guess, I mean, it's the same as when they changed like a screen in Times Square in New York or something, right? But just I, something about it being London was really cool to me. And also, we can't forget to remember uh, the Greg's pasties as well. Um, as you saw online, you want to explain that? <laughs> right. Okay, so possibly the greatest crossover of all time. Um, for those of you who don't know, Greg's is like kind of, I guess, sort of like a fast foody sort of chain. Um, yeah. Super, super popular all over the UK. And they they do pasties, which I guess are kind of like if a pie and a sandwich had like the ultimate love child. Yeah, I describe <laughs> it as like think of think of like a really high quality or maybe not really high quality, but like a way higher quality hot pocket or something. But instead of having like, you know, pepperoni yeah. and cheese, it'll have like, ooh, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas lunch, like Christmas dinner yeah, flavor. Exactly. And like, it'd be like, yeah, like um bean, beans and cheese, like and, yeah. and like kind of like, Steak sort and of like mushroom. meat meat pie kind of fillings but it's like delivered in like kind of like a sandwich sort of style you could like walk around and outside and eat it so greg's is wonderful like you know like maybe maybe it's not something you should be eating every day because you know you might die but it's like <laughs> just a wonderful comfort food and it's so delightful and um so they sponsored or they partnered with sony as well and there was someone i think we saw a tweet on it is where we we saw yeah, this first yeah, but yeah had like gotten a, a delivery to their house of like a package of greg's pasties but the box was all done up with like you know like this playstation symbols and like the font and whatnot so they actually partnered as well um <laughs> it was great and the, i think even the 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 pasties were shaped like the playstation symbols also so uh just cool mm -hmm. stuff um that's your english food moment if you were coming here for this for that kind of information so <laughs> thanks for sticking <laughs> with it um okay. next Next week on the show, we're going to go over fish and chips with curry sauce. That's right. So wait around for that. Um, we're going to move to our next story, though, Kate. Um, this one is not a shocker at all, but the PlayStation 5 had apparently PlayStation's biggest launch ever, um, despite the, you know, the, the COVID concerns about maybe not being able to produce as many consoles as they'd want and, and whatever. But yep, this is the biggest uh, console launch ever for PlayStation. Maybe not super, super, um, you know, surprising considering these things just seem to get more popular every generation, but... Um, I don't think we have any official sales numbers yet, but I know that um, Sony's still trying to outsell the PS4 for first fiscal year, which apparently was about seven million units. So um, looks like they're gonna they're gonna make that, and just I mean, impressive sales numbers, right? Too based on like the stock issues, yeah. <laughs> like they've they've had like I mean, there just there aren't any available, right? But like every single one they've been able to put out has been sold, and like so I guess it's impressive, but I guess it's also just a shame because obviously like people aren't getting the playstations they want there's still tons of people waiting yeah that's true and, and i mean it's it's impressive too in the sense that they're not selling them physically in stores either like it's completely online so mm -hmm. at least for for most of the world i would imagine so it's it's kind of yeah, neat I, I like think some physical retailers in the states but i think the majority of places especially with how the world is right now are yeah all online sales yeah so yeah, I mean, obviously not super surprising news. The PS5 is definitely going to be, you know, a, a major seller for the next few years, at least until like all the early adopters have their consoles. So I'm sure it'll be, you know, rivaling the PS4 by the time all of a sudden done. Yeah, um, let's get into our last news story for the day, Kate. And of course, this is the PS Plus games for uh, December 2020. Um, for those of you that are joining us maybe for the first time, uh, we take a PS Plus game each every single month and we play through for the next episode and give our little review on that. So for December 2020, we have three selections. Um, we have Worms Rumble, Just Cause 4, and Rocket Arena. So 
Um, also, for those of you that maybe are new, we did a giveaway for Rocket Arena, um, what, a few, four or five episodes ago now, right, Kate? I think so. I Maybe we'll, we'll post maybe... Um... Maybe we'll put the link in the description. We'll there put for, the link in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So we we did talk about Rocket Arena on a previous episode and, and kind of went through that. So I think we'll we'll cross this one off the list for for December and we'll go with Worms Rumble and Just Cause Four and and uh, so which one are you feeling? Well, Just Cause you were so kind to ask me first. Just Cause. I'd like to t- I'd like to take Worms. <laughs> okay. I think okay. it just uh, Worms is is a game I have not played in in very many like. A lot of years like it yeah. has been like early 2000s i think is the last time i played worms when we would like sit side by side at the computer and like yeah i don't even like various like flash games and stuff i don't even know what version of worms that was but we used to play it you know off and on you know probably yeah, like, yeah literally the year 2000 or like you know 1999 or like some whenever that was <laughs> yeah exactly so like I'm, I'm i'm kind of excited in a way to, to revisit the series and see how it's you know how it's hold hold up over the years if it's still funny or if it's just horrible fart, fart jokes and i hate yeah. it <laughs> i have a feeling you're in for, for a few of those fart jokes but this one does look cool I like it's the so. it's the real time action it's not not turn based like the old ones so at yeah, least maybe they you know breath breathe some new life into it somehow yeah exactly i was kind of disappointed i was hoping for the like classic turn based like how i picture worms in my mind um but i am at the same time excited to or maybe excited is kind of a little exaggerated, but I'm interested to see um, kind of where it's gone and, and yeah, how the series goes. And um, yeah, I'm crossing my fingers that you do not want to play Worms because <laughs> I want to. <laughs> you know what? I got to be honest. I, I probably would have picked Rocket Arena out of all three of these. Um, mm-hmm. I, I actually quite like Rocket Arena. Like, I know it's got some maybe like, you know, naysayers here and there, but I think it's a good game and, and going free to play on, on PS Plus is going to be great. So um, I'll, I'll yeah. be happy to take Just Cause though. I mean, None of these games really scream to me, but I, I'm interested to see it in the sense that I mean, people really like Just Cause. Like the people that are into it, I feel are are a pretty um, you know passionate fan base, and and also just like jumping into a, a bigger PS4 game in terms of like being a one of those big action kind of sandboxes. I feel like maybe that'll be cool to to check out on the PS5 with the SSD. Yeah, so I'll, I'm happy to do Just Cause. Sure. Awesome. Perfect. So that works out very well. I think there's only been one time where we've actually had to. The tiebreaker, so yeah, and remember, gonna... I I own the tiebreaker for the next time we have yes. the same one, um, yes, for winning that last competition. So oh, yeah, and I know I'm gonna get stuck with something really bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're gonna save that. I'm gonna be playing like God knows what. <laughs> exactly. Well, I hope so, but uh, we'll wait and see. But anyway, we'll we'll get back on next episode and and give our impressions of those games, and that's gonna close us out for the news section today too. So we will take one more short break, and we'll be right back to talk about the game awards. Uh, for 2020, so don't go anywhere, and we'll see you in a sec. Alright guys, welcome back to the last part of the show where we will be talking about the Game Awards for 2020, because as we said at the top of the show, those are happening on December 10th. Um, and so we thought it'd be fun to go through and uh, go over our picks and make some predictions as well as to what we think is going to take the award for all the categories. Um, so, mm-hmm. I think we've decided we're not doing every single category. We're kind of going to be skipping out on some of the like esports and content creator ones just because we don't. Uh, it's not it our thing. It's not our jam. Too much. Yeah. But we're going to go over all of the actual game specific awards and, uh, you know, see how well we do with with some of our predictions. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll go through category by category. Um, we'll give uh, the pick we think is going to win and then also our own personal vote. Yeah. And 
we'll just go through it like that. So without any further ado, Kate, um, maybe we'll save game of the year for last. Um, okay, just sure. To change I it think up. that's fitting. So let's start off with um, best game direction, which is awarded for outstanding creative vision and innovation in game direction and design. Um, yeah, so this was a, this was a tough one for me because the only game I've actually played on this list is Ghost of Tsushima. So it's the only one I can confidently say, like, for sure it, I think like I would be happy with that winning. I think it deserves it. Um, but I think I'm going to give this to Hades just from all of the content I've seen on Hades online and just the reception of everyone, uh, who's been playing this game. I think it just looks absolutely phenomenal and and as we spoke about earlier in the show Supergiant is known for their you know like dedication to their passionate creative vision so i i'm gonna give this one for hades cool so so sorry hades was your pick um you think- hades, hades is the one i think is gonna get it oh okay, um, okay. yeah and la- okay so yeah i'm similar to you I have, I have hades winning it as well um but for game direction i my personal picks the last of us too just for, I mean, I, I just feel like this is, uh, you know, when you're talking about game direction, as far as like creative vision and story and everything, um, I feel like The Last of Us is going to win there. So moving along, we have best narrative for outstanding storytelling and narrative development in a game. So why don't you go first? We'll kind of go back and forth oh, on this. Sure, sure. So, first. yeah. So for narrative, I think, I think it's going to win. And I also will pick The Last of Us Part 2. Um, I feel like this category is basically a slam dunk. Yeah, I, I agree. I pick Last of Us as well for this one. I think it's just a little bit more narrative focused compared to some of the other games in this in this category. So, yeah, and we should say too, we're not going over all the nominees. There would just be way too many to cover. So obviously, go to the Game Awards website um, where you can see all the nominees for each each section as well. So let's do next up is Best Art Direction for Outstanding Creative and or Technical Achievement in artistic design and animation for me it's like i haven't played some of these games so like if i'd played hades i probably would have voted for hades because it just it looks gorgeous the sound is phenomenal like i think maybe that's the one that's going to take it um but i mean like i think ghost as well it's, it's less like stylized than something like hades but like man i'm just struck every time with how beautiful it is and like the way they've integrated the sound like i think Ghost is a little bit more subtle than Hades in terms of art direction but I that's my personal vote because every time I play that game I'm blown away by it yeah I'm gonna pick Ghost of Tsushima for for both answers as well I just feel like you know ever since we had even that state of play we were just blown away by well look at the grass like look at the wind look at the environments Mm -hmm. um and to me like as cool as some of these other games look especially Hades graphically and like Final Fantasy 7 remake I think was pretty beautiful but it's got to be Ghost yeah, I think the other thing about Ghost is it's integrated so much into the gameplay as well. Like, it's the wind that directs you and the sound of, of you know, like, footsteps and, and things like that. And, like, I think it's just the other games are phenomenal and beautiful and, like, artistic masterpieces. But Ghost is, like, directly tied to its gameplay as well. So, yeah. So the next category is Best Score in Music for Outstanding Music, Inclusive, um, inclusive of the Score, Original Song, and or Licensed Soundtrack. Um, so for the best music, I went both my personal and as you'll see, a lot of my personal picks, I, I think are actually going to win too. I don't know how that lined up last year. I remember my picks were like totally different, um, but I put Final Fantasy seven remake for both of these. I loved that game, um, especially the music, the way it kind of swells in and out of the battle and maintains like alongside the background music without cutting ever. Like it's the music is just great in that game. And I could listen to that soundtrack all day. Yeah, I think that's good. And you're going to hear me. Um, um, this is the last I'm going to say it. Otherwise, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I don't I don't feel like a lot of these categories I 
should vote on because I'm just not familiar enough with a lot of the games. Like, I haven't played the Final Fantasy remake and I've intentionally not really watched much gameplay because I don't want to spoil it. So, like, I don't know what the music's like in that game because I haven't experienced it. So I can't, in all good consciousness, like, vote for it, um, even if maybe it would deserve it. So I've gone and just said that if I had to pick one, I would pick or expect Hades to win. Again, the music in that game is phenomenal. It's got, like, that badass kind of, like, rock sort of soundtrack to it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think Doom Eternal, I think, is known for having good music, too. But, like, I haven't played it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. The problem with these awards is it's hard to vote because, like, you just don't have experience. You gotta do your best, man. You gotta do your best. Yeah. Um, Let's move along to the next award, which is Best Performance, um, awarded to the individual for voice acting, motion capture, or performance capture. Um, Who'd you have for this one? Um, This one is, again, I, I didn't vote personally, but I think... I don't know. I think like the like fucking Hades is always known for having amazing voice direction. So like that's got to be it. I think probably what will win is one of the um, Last of Us ones just because like it's got the the facial animation as well. And like it's just got like so much going for it character wise. So I think it's going to be one of those two. Although not having played the game, I don't know which one gives a better performance. I think people like Ellie more than they like Abby. So maybe Ellie is my guess. Uh, well, I mean, I won't comment on that part because it's kind of yeah. st- story wise. But I, but I have, um, I have Ashley Johnson winning for her performance as Ellie. Um, mm-hmm. I think she just did an amazing job, and like you said, the facial capture I think is is something that puts it ahead of just the voice acting for something like Hades. So, mm-hmm. I mean, not that Hades has boy- bad voice acting, but I think they really would have to knock it out of the park completely to beat um, the performance from anyone from The Last of Us, uh, at least the two that have been nominated here. But I'll, I'll stick with Ashley Johnson um, for both answers. And we will go to the next category, which is games for impact um, for a thought provoking game with pro social meaning or message for this one. I've picked spirit fair for my personal personal choice. I just think that I enjoyed that game so much earlier in the year and it, and it had a lot of undertones of like each character is dealing with, you know, different mental illnesses or tragic life circumstances. And that's, it's, it's really uh, thought provoking in those ways. And it made me think a lot about my own life. Like I said, when, when we spoke about the game earlier, so I'll go with that, but I think um, the winner is going to be Kentucky route zero. I know a lot of people like that earlier in the year. Um, so I'll, I'll go with that. Okay. Yeah. I think I have a kind of a similar opinion. Spirit Fair is the only one I've got a slight personal experience with, and it was just a demo. So, but I, I definitely see a lot of potential in that game for it being very emotional and just you speaking about it made me feel kind of like passionate about playing it. I think that's what I would give it a pick for Kentucky route zero. I actually haven't seen as much in the media about so i'm gonna guess spirit fair i think okay um we have best ongoing game next which is awarded to the best game for outstanding development of ongoing content um, that evolved the player experience over time so um for me my personal choice obviously apex legends i love the new season the new map is great keep doing what you're doing apex but i think warzone is going to win this this year it just is like the new hot battle royale that everyone seems to like and um I don't know. It just seems like Call of Duty's got to win something, right? So I'll go. I'll go Warzone. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna say that I I guess Fortnite's gonna win. I know that Fortnite isn't the like hottest thing ever. People are, you know, people meme it and make fun of it all the time. But like oh, Fortnite it's, won it's, awards. Don't listen it's to that. It's just so big, right? Thing. Yeah, exactly. Like Fortnite is just such an absolute titan in terms of like how many people play it and and like how it's received. And I think like I think just Fortnite is gonna take it. I think Fortnite just wins this category by default every time that's fair um i just i don't know they they have those those uh app store things going on right now where like can you or can you play it on the on the app store i think they've had some negative pr this year so 
So maybe it's not their time, but who knows? We'll maybe not. I'm, I'm happy to see someone else win it, but I'm, I'm going to guess the safe guess of Fortnite. Um, best indie game is up next for outstanding creative and technical achievement in game made in a game made outside of the traditional publisher system. So um, you can debate what is and in, what is and isn't indie these years. Um, I mean, Kojima releases games they're considered indies, so it's a bit of a weird category. Um, I'm gonna say Hades wins this one, and I think it would be my personal pick as well. I was going through, and it's funny because Fall Guys was was uh, nominated, <laughs> and I just think that that game like. It came and went like the flash of a pan, you know, so I, I don't think it's got a mm-hmm. chance. And the rest, like, I don't know. People like Spelunky, too, I guess, but I, th- I think it's got to be Hades. I think I think I will also give a slight edge to Hades, but I think Spelunky 2 actually, it's not a sleeper pick. I think Spelunky 2 has a lot of, of potential. Like, Spelunky 1 was, like, a phenomenal indie game that came out and, like, it kind of revolutionized a little bit. And I think Spelunky 2, they've also, like, kind of gone in the same formula, but also made a lot of, like, really good changes. and. I think like the reception of that game has been just as positive as Hades, but I think it's just a little bit less in the forefront. And especially right now, because Hades just launched, it's got that perfect like timing window Mm -hmm. of like coming Mm -hmm. out just right before you start voting. So I think Hades will take it, but I think Spelunky 2 is going to be closer than than you expect. Um, So after that, we've got best AR and VR game. Uh, for the best experience playable within virtual or augmented reality, irrespective of platform. Um, so for me, my personal choice was Star Wars Squadrons because I loved that game uh, a few months ago and I would love to try it in VR. Um, I don't, actually don't know how well it works in VR, <laughs> like from personal experience, but I'd love to try it. Um, I think Half-Life Alex will win this, though, just because it's a new Half-Life game, which actually came out this year. So, I mean, it kind of seems like a slam dunk there for me. Absolutely. I give it to Alex for sure. I think. Um... It's just, it's phenomenal. It's got some really well crafted like physics systems in VR. And I think it's just like kind of one of the definitive games right now. So I think that's a, that's a clear victory. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's move along now. The next awards are actually just about the best game from each genre going forward. So we'll start with um, action games. Uh, and for this one, again, I can't believe it, but I picked Hades to win and as my personal pick again. It's just like this game seems to be cleaning up at the end of the year. Um, the other nominees just didn't do anything for me. If you look through like Neo 2, Streets of Rage 4, Half-Life Alex, and Doom Eternal, like to me it's Hades easily. Yeah, I think Hades is really going to be cleaning up this year. And I think like, I mean, it's great because, you know, Hades seems like a game that deserves a lot of praise. But at the same time, it's like kind of indicative of some of the problems with the game awards where it's like <clears> the <throat> variety for each category is is kind of slim um you you know you see end up seeing the same couple games over and over again so yeah i think Hayes is gonna take it i i would like to give a personal shout out to neo just because it's you know souls like and you know we're seeing some little bit of representation here um but i think hades has got it yeah um after that we've got action adventure game for the best action adventure game combat combining combat with traversal and or puzzle solving um what do you think on this uh i gave this one to ghost of tsushima i think it's just a phenomenal game. It's the perfect send off for PS4. I'm absolutely like engrossed in it. So I got to go ghost. I actually went with my personal pick being Miles Morales. I think it deserves, mm-hmm. uh, deserves to win something. And this is the category it's in. So I got to give it to, <laughs> to that personally. It's going to win as well, though, um, to be honest, just because I think the other games have had some. The, the Last of Us Part Two is just too divisive. Like there's too many people that don't like it to vote, to vote to win this. Then the other games just all have problems like Ori is is a little bit too indie to win, unfortunately. Like, maybe I don't know if that's even true or not, but I just feel like when it comes down to these type of awards, it's going to be one of the big AAA, like, 3D action adventure type of things. 
I um, agree. I think just so, more people would have played them as well, or like. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. So after that, we have RPG game best role playing for the best design with rich character, uh, rich player <laughs> character customization progression included massively multiplayer experiences. Like holy crap, these these uh, descriptions are so. Right, so there's a lot going on here. Um, um, role playing games, Kate. All right. Well, I'm going to take I'm going to go on a wild limb and say that we're going to agree on this one and we're both going to have picked Persona 5 You'll or Persona 5. <laughs> yeah. Persona 5 role. Um I actually don't think it's going to win though. I don't know if you picked it to win. I, I think the Final Fantasy 7 remake is going to take this one. I ju I just feel like it's one of those games that people are shocked it even came out and and they're shocked that it was actually good and it's Final Fantasy 7 and even though like they're both technically remakes like final fantasy seven remake is sure as hell remaking a lot more about final fantasy seven than the Royal is remaking about persona five. So I think it's gotta be the winner here, even though I would pick persona. Yeah, I think you're right. And I guess it's like just a bigger thing too. Like final fantasy seven, such a huge game for people. And it's like reliving that game is a, is a very big experience for them versus like persona is kind of weird and, and I, it didn't really get big until five. So I think there's maybe a lot of people who are, less familiar with persona as opposed to final fantasy so yeah uh, that's probably fair. I, i'd like to give it to royal <laughs> let's hope it wins that's all i hope for if anything in this <laughs> entire game awards i just hope the royal wins best rpg <laughs> so next up is best fighting game obviously for the best fighting game designed primarily around head-to-head -head combat um these this is the most uninteresting thing ever to me Right, your full caliber is not even here. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> well, you know, it's a little older. I I just gave both my pick and the and my actual pick to Mortal Kombat 11. Yeah, I think I think Mortal Kombat 11 is probably the safe pick. Um, I had a personal vote here just for Undernight in Birth EXE Late, which is like the dumbest name I've ever heard in my life. But <laughs> um, when I did have a tiny little sample size of some fighting games because uh my ex was really into them undernight was the one i actually enjoyed playing the most so i gave it like my personal vote is you go undernight but definitely they're not gonna win <laughs> it's mortal Kombat, <laughs> i think okay so changing away from mortal Kombat and fighting games we're gonna move now to the best family game for best game appropriate for family play irrespective of genre um and this is where one of the titans of the year shows up that we've not yet seen animal crossing new horizons is easily in my opinion easily gonna win this um no debate although my choice would probably be i don't know i'm tempted to actually go with fall guys on this one even though i think i'm now that i've talked myself into it it's got to be animal crossing uh for me as well yeah i think animal crossing is by far the winner here i don't think animal, animal crossing was is up for actual game of the year and i don't think it should win that because it's just it's not like a game in the same sense that other games are are in it's just kind of like a sim and like i think it's perfect at what it does but it just doesn't quite maybe compete for like you know like the the intense title of game of the year but i think this is the perfect genre or like the perfect category for it and i think it if it doesn't win i will be shocked yeah well i mean um, it depends how you define game of the year right that's why these awards are so weird is because like what right. what are your criteria but we'll we'll talk about that in a sec um, mm -hmm. let's finish off these last few categories here. We've got sim and strategy up next for this one. I personally went with Microsoft flight simulator for both answers. Um, <laughs> the only one that I even came close to personally wanting to vote for is XCOM Chimera squad, but I haven't even played that. Not that I played flight sim either, but flight sim just looks so impressive in terms of like what it's doing and how, how accurately it like gets all the airports around the world and how accurate it is to actually fly the different planes. So I just have to go with that based on my enamoration for it. And like, I really like to try this 
Okay, uh, that's fair. I, I, I didn't even. I to be honest, I didn't even think about that. It's just so weirdly niche, and like, it's probably great at what it does. But it's like you're either into flight hey, sim or you're not. It. People like people. It. People love those games. Yeah, they've got like the whole like plane setup. Um, I wanted to give it this time to Crusader Kings, and maybe that's a slight bias because I've got a friend who's been playing it, and like just hearing some of his like hilarious stories of like the issues going on. But it's just it's got so much depth to it, and he's always got like weird issues, like oh, I'm trying to like my character needs to marry this wife for like a political arrangement, but she's actually just been put in jail, and like the funniest <laughs> stuff just keeps happening, and like it's just such a weird weird game. So I'm gonna give it to to Crusader Kings three. What do you think's gonna win, Crusader? Um, I don't know. Like, I just, I know XCOM is a franchise that people know about and like Gears, I guess. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like I have enough experience with this category to even like take a good guess. So I'm just going to be biased and guess Crusader Kings and maybe I'm right. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we'll move on. We've got two categories left. We got best sports and racing game up next, Kate. And this one well, I know for sure is huge for you. Well, <laughs> I'm looking at the options here for best sports slash racing for the best traditional and non-traditional sports and racing game. Um, so we're not even going to pretend that Tony Hawk Pro Skater has a chance. That's my pick. Nobody's picking that. No, pick. no, it's not a real game. It's going to win too. It. It's going to win too. I'm telling it you right gonna now. Win. I know. I know it's going to win. I absolutely know. There's no way I, it's getting knocked out by any of these. I mean, the only one like FIFA, I guess, maybe has a chance. But I mean, I... I think Tony Hawk has this on lock and I'm going to be so happy when it wins. <laughs> I I do not have enough experience with the sports genre. I, I don't have an interest in it. I have no idea which of these games is going to win. Um, I refuse to vote for Tony Hawk. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm abstaining from this category. <laughs> I uh, refuse to answer. <laughs> okay. In that case, then you can tell me uh, which is the best multiplayer game of the year for outstanding online multiplayer gameplay and design, including co-op and massively multiplayer experiences, irrespective of the game genre or platform. Um, see, my personal vote for this one is Fall Guys, because it's the one that I had the most fun with, and I think I would go back and play more frequently. Um, but I think this is where maybe Among Us steps forward and, and picks up a, a title. See, it was this just is interesting, though, right? Among Us didn't even come out this year. Yes, it didn't. But Why I guess is it it's allowed like, to be nominated? I'm so confused by this. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe it like counted as a re-release or something. Like maybe they changed stuff from the original or like gave it an official re-release. I, I don't know. Like it surprised me showing up here as well. But it was just such like a big phenomenon with so many people who don't normally play games stepping in and like getting into Among Us that I, I think that's going to take it. But I don't know. Valorant's huge. Uh, the new like Riot League of Legends shooter. So... I know that game's doing really well, so I think maybe that could be a second option, but... Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm, I think Fall Guys is going to win it as well. I, I honestly think Among Us, like... First of all, the the the, the multiplayer in Animal Crossing is crap. It's yeah, like the, especially exactly. The online. I didn't it's even, just so bad. I didn't even consider it. It's so half-baked, the multiplayer in Animal Crossing. Like, it's just... It shouldn't yeah. be in consideration it, for this. It, no, no, no. And Among Us, like, I just didn't vote for it because, to me... Oh, so Among Us is my is my personal pick in terms of like mm -hmm. what what I like, but I don't think it's going to win just because I feel like the the people voting on this are not going to pick it. I feel like Among Us is just really popular on Twitch, you know. Right, and I guess that's true. Whereas like the actual voting panel and stuff may not be as into it as like you know Joe Bob the the Twitch streamer kind of guy. So right, or like yeah, you get like your mom to play Among Us with you, but she's not going to go vote for the exactly. game awards yeah so yeah, like, yeah yeah so that's, that's my true. pick for that um so why don't we finish it off here kate by discussing game of the year 2020 um and what we think what's what are your okay. what are your feelings 
Uh, well, let's actually read out the category nominees just for this one, just because it is the biggest uh, sure, award. Sure. Um, so this recognizing a game that delivers the absolute best experience across all creative and technical fields uh, and nominated was Doom Eternal, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Ghosts of Tsushima, Hades, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and The Last of Us Part Two. Um, so I always like to vote for Game of the Year. It's always an exciting thing. Um, but it's tough sometimes when it's... I always find myself in the position where it's like, oh man, I've played this game and I really love it. But like, there's this other game that I haven't gotten around to yet and I like think I might love it more. But I haven't played it. So it's like, what, what do I vote it's for? It's a tough predicament. Uh, it is a bit of a predicament. So it's like in 2018, I voted for God of War, even though I hadn't played it yet, just because <laughs> everything I'd seen on it, I knew it was going to be like amazing. And then playing God of War, like reaffirmed that. But it's like, you know, it's it's a gamble. What if I what if I end up hating the game? But uh, anyway, existential crisis aside, I personally voted for Ghost of Tsushima. I don't think it's going to win just because I think being an exclusive and also kind of like coming out at the same time as last of us and like a lot of other big games i don't think as many people played it as hmm. it deserves and i think interesting it just i think it's one of those games that doesn't really like do justice to how great it is until you actually like sit down and play it because it's got a lot of like yeah yeah really like immersive and kind of like a lot of what it does is like it's very subtle so it doesn't show like a big flashy exciting thing but then when you actually sit down and play it's just an absolute like i would consider this game a masterpiece as far as the amount wow. of content i played i love it hey, but i don't think i just picked it up by the way i'm gonna be playing it soon yeah that's right we can play some online it'll be good um but i think the game that's gonna win is if last of us 2 was not so this like divided polarizing. in the community yeah. yeah if it wasn't so polarizing i think it would have a chance i think it's going to go to Final Fantasy or Hades. Make a choice. Make a choice. And of the two, I'm going to go with Hades. I think the game is just amazing. It's getting like the worst score it's getting in reviews is nines. <laughs> I think it looks absolutely incredible. I'm so excited to play it. And I think it also just kind of gets that buff of like being so being big the in, the, in the news right now. Whereas like Final Fantasy came out so much earlier, like people are kind of played it and they're, they're like done with it it's not on their mind right now so like this is kind of like a reminder of like oh yeah that game was awesome but like maybe i'm playing hades right now and i'm enjoying it so much so i think yeah. it's kind of got that end of the year buff going on with it too and like it, know, it just looks awesome i'm so with you on that and i wish i'd played hades i can't believe we haven't done it yet you know what it's just because the ps5 came out and it's like i'm trying to play playstation stuff right now i'm not on my switch so that's mm -hmm. the only reason looking through this whole um, list. I just want to tell you something very interesting is that I actually would have picked um, Animal Crossing for my vote <clears throat> and simply because I find like like my own personal definition for game of the year is like you know it's not just the best game it's also the game that was kind of in the social sphere and like it was the game of the year you know like when Avengers Endgame comes out it's like the movie of the year because it's a worldwide phenomenon not just being a good movie it's probably not the best movie right. like technically right so for me animal crossing was just such an amazing like world-changing event at the start of the year with like everyone locked down for covid everyone's playing animal crossing like it just took over the world similar to like pokemon go when that right. came out originally and to me like that's a that's like the game of the year even though it's i would probably say it's the worst game on this list for game of the year nominations aside from maybe doom but i mean it's a great game and i think it deserves to win that but so that's my personal pick um, but I don't think it's actually going to win because let's face it, that's probably not how these awards are always chosen. So you make a really strong 
case for Hades. But I think all these games have flaws too. Like Hades is probably the least flawed game out of all the nominees. Like The Last of Us Part Two, so divisive, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just don't know if it's going to split the vote. Ghost, I know people really liked it, but there was also like big, big issues with the the stealth part of the game. And and I think a lot a lot of people also came back to it for the multiplayer, which I don't know how many people have returned for it that are going to be on the voting panels, though. So will will they be swayed by the addition of the multiplayer, <clears throat> you know, to make up for that, the, the stealth kind of bugs early on? I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, Doom Eternal, like, I don't even know why that's on this list. Like, I don't even, this hasn't even been talked about that much this year to me, yeah. like, at least where I've been looking. It's kind of a weird pick. And Final Fantasy, I love Final Fantasy, but it does have some pacing issues and and like the side quests are hit and miss stuff like that but so i think the final fantasy is going to win though just because of the the flaws of the other games and just basically it comes down to the last of us is too divisive even though i think it is the most impressive game on the list um so final fantasy 7 is what i think will win interesting yeah. so I don't know. interesting so we'll see we, we've covered a lot of games if, if either doom or last of us win then we both suck <laughs> like <laughs> we were totally wrong but i think of the four we've covered i think I think it's going to end up, yeah, being Final Fantasy or Hades, like you said. So mm-hmm. we've split it and we'll we'll see who's right. And I don't know if I think it's interesting. I, it just really depends on what you quantify, like how you quantify it. Because like, yeah, Animal Crossing is like, it was a bit more of a phenomenon than some of these other games. And then also like, I think it also depends like what game did you personally enjoy and like, did you feel most connected to? Mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. it also says like, what was the most creative or like technical achievement, which is like, it doesn't really qualify as much for that kind of category. So like, I think it just kind of a lot of people, I think the average person just votes based on their their own bias of like which game I exactly. enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. And so I think like I guess Animal Crossing like might get more votes based on that. Yeah, but I don't factor, see it getting I don't know. But like I don't know. I just don't see it I don't see it getting enough and compared to some of these other like Titan picks. Yeah, no, same here. But I um, mean, realistically, these games are all super lucky that Demon Souls came out too late and isn't getting <laughs> it isn't in contention for this year because otherwise, like, this isn't even a no. But it, but it is though, isn't it? Because because Miles Morales is on here. Miles Morales came out before though because you could also buy Miles Morales on PS4. It didn't. Yeah, have yeah, to but wait it didn't. It didn't months. launch. It didn't launch that early though on PS4. Oh, I think Demon Souls is was not eligible based on the timeline i don't know this is interesting we'll have to look into this we'll we'll uh we'll figure it out but yeah we'll, in the meantime we'll if you'd like to let us know what your game picks for game of the year are you can send us an email um to circles and squares pod at gmail.com um, or you can check out our twitter at c-a-n-d-s pod where we have a link tree with any way you want to get in touch with us so you can let us know your picks for game of the year or send us a listener mail question as well um just like michael did um, so Michael wrote in, uh, which we really appreciate, and he asked us, and this is a really interesting question for both of us because we have a strong history with this franchise, and he wrote in, as loyal fans of the franchise, do you feel like Nintendo and Game Freak have done the Pokemon games justice in the last decade? Where do you think they've struggled, and what do you think they've done well? Yeah, well, thank you for the question, Michael. Um, God, this is such a big question. We were talking about this um, before we started recording, and I think the plan here is to actually do a full segment to talk about Pokemon as a as a franchise, just because we both have so much to say about it and a, and a really long history as well. Um, but I'll just boil my quick thoughts down here for this um, this question. I guess first first of all, the franchise is obviously doing really really well financially because everything they release sells like a bajillion copies and it's like the new best-selling game on whatever console for the most part and they're just absolutely crushing it in that way but i mean personally if we're 
talking about the last decade is 2010 to 2020. Um, the, the last Pokemon game released um, within that timeline was Sword and Shield, and the first one was Black and White. So we're basically mm-hmm. judging it based on the progress between those games. And I would say personally that the franchise is, as much as I love it, it's because of nostalgia and because of my attachment to the brand and the fact that we still collect Pokemon cards and like, and that kind of thing. But the games themselves, they're they're so similar. I mean, it's tough to say because it's like they're kids games, right? But we play a lot of games that are made, quote unquote, for kids. I just find that it's getting more and more dumbed down. Not that I want it to be tough, but they're just like even more handholdy. And the Pokemon they're creating are cool still, but the, and the battle system's still enjoyable, but they're just designed so conservatively. And I just made a list of like games which have come out, you know, around the 2020 mark, 20, 2010 mark, sorry, and 2020, and just where they've come. So just to run through quickly, it's like compare mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Compare God of War 3 to God of War 2018. Compare Fire Emblem Awakening to Fire Emblem Three Houses. Like the other franchises have all moved so far compared to how far Pokemon is made. They're just so consistently conservative in their design um, because they sell so damn well. And, and so like, it just depends how big of a Pokemon fan you are, I guess. But to me, like, it's just getting to the point where even me as a lifelong fan, like I pre-order every game, like after Sword and Shield, like maybe this is going to be the time when I stop pre-ordering these games. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. I, I think especially with Sword and Shield, that game was embarrassing how lackluster it was. And that was supposed to be like a big one because it was its first Pokemon's first jump to like basically console, like a home console. Like I know we've had a couple spin-offs in the past. Like there was a GameCube game and, and I think we've had like two sequels from that as well. So there have been console games, but they've been not like mainline. Not like a mainline one though, yeah. Yeah, they're not mainline Pokemon games. They've been sort of like spin-offs. And so people were excited like, oh, it's coming to Switch. Like we're getting like, a proper console in the main series like this was their time to like step up their game and shine and like show us what this new console is capable of and -hmm. where pokemon is going to go in the future and i think they absolutely like could not have missed more than they did like the like i know there was the whole contra and we'll get into this more in detail like i it's just so hard to keep keep the the wraps on this talk isn't it because i could i'm so eager to talk about this in more in depth like I remember when the game was, you know, controversial before it came out and people are upset about, you know, decks that they were calling it, like not having all the Pokemon available. And like, I can understand that. Like, there's a lot of Pokemon now. Like, I don't think it's necessarily like wrong to trim it. But the reasons they gave for trimming it were like, we're going to have improved graphics. Like, we're putting all of our resources in like, you know, making the game better in other ways. And that just flopped completely. Like, the game is not better in other ways. They're reusing assets for animations from like, from a different console. From like different, yeah, from like games from like the 3DS and like going backwards a couple generations. Like they they should, if they don't have the resources to to make it like a proper AAA title, something that's of the same caliber as something like Breath of the Wild, then like they either need to be giving Game Freak more resources or Game Freak is like just not using their resources. They're being lazy or like whatever the reason is. I don't know behind the scenes why it was so underwhelming but like there was no improvement to the game basically oh, that's unfair that's unfair there was improvements okay, there was improvement. sure we got like the wild areas kind of a cool idea and like yeah some of the environments looked okay but some of them were like you know like graphically not much better 
than the 3ds and you compare that to something like breath of the wild where like oh my god like there's been a big jump and like mm-hmm. well it's like i was saying friends. compare the breath of the wild to a zelda that came out nearest 2010 exactly you know? like they're not making changes in the same way that other franchises are making changes and i don't think that's inherently wrong i don't think every game has to come out and be totally different like it's okay to preserve no. kind of like the same experience but i think that like it's just so incredibly underutilized and like I can't remember the last, I think the last Pokemon game I actually completed, even though I've played them all, is Gen 3, like Ruby and Sapphire. I think (laughs) that was the last one I actually completed because I get halfway through, I've seen all the Pokemon, which is the big draw for me. I know what they all evolve into now. I've seen them all, like I've seen all their sprites in the game. And then I just run out of steam because I'm I'm no longer compelled by it. Here we are. I was coming into this conversation thinking <laughs> I might have been the one low on Pokemon. No. Um, and I feel like it's you. So I can't wait to have that, that uh, uh, segment. Yeah, Maybe next I, episode. Maybe next episode. Yeah. I would love to go more in depth with this because it's a, it's a franchise. I love Pokemon. I'll always love Pokemon. Like I have such a strong emotional attachment to the series, but like I just wish that I could be excited when the next <laughs> game gets announced instead of being like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you guys are excited to hear more of our thoughts on Pokemon, maybe you can get excited for episode number 19. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in the meantime, we're going to get going for the day. Um, Thank you guys very much for listening. Again, check us out on the internet. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if possible. That would help us grow the show. And we would appreciate every single one of you that does that. Um, Even just listening, though, it's the best thing you can do. Thank you so much. Um, Kate, we'll see everyone again in a couple weeks' time uh, for episode number 19. The intro and outro music for Circles and Squares was produced by friend of the show, Matthew Chan. Interlude music is from Scott Grattan of the Free Music Archive. Our channel art was created by at Unreasonable on Twitter, and our brother Alex is the designer of the Circles and Squares logo. Thank you all for listening and supporting the show.